0: Well, it's a gift to be back with you. I was away for a couple weeks with my family, and so it's, uh, I'm excited to get into God's Word this morning. We're starting a new series in the Book of Revelation, and uh, I'm a, anybody else recovering Revelations? I always say Revelations. Anybody add that S on there? So Revelation uh, two and three, the chapters we're going to look at over the next seven weeks. But if you want to start start turning there in your Bibles, that would be great. One of the things we do as a church family is work through Scripture together. As you're turning there, though, I want to share a story that I heard in the last week that uh, caught my attention. It was a story of a man who was going to visit his friend who happened to be a farmer, which is kind of a a unique friend, but as he was pulling up on the property of his friend, he noticed on one of his barns, he noticed a series of targets that were all across the whole side, about 10 to 20 targets on the side of this barn. Upon further inspection, he starts noticing on the, the targets that each one of them perfectly had a bullet hole right in the center of each target. He's looking around on the barn, uh, barn wall and seeing that there weren't any side bullets, any missed shots, just every single target had a perfect bullet right in the center. So he was like, man, like, I didn't know this about my friend, what a marksman he was. And so he went and he, he talked to him about it. He's like, well, tell me about this. I didn't realize that you were such a marksman. What's your, your secret for such shooting success? Were you like in special forces? Were you like, how did you get so good? It's like, oh, no, 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 no. He says, I shoot first and then draw the target afterward. (laughs) And I was thinking about that as it relates to our series and how often I'm afraid the American church has an idea of what the, the target is. They shoot first and then define what they think success is for a church themselves. And so you've seen the series of books that are out there. I could do a series called The Seven Marks of a Healthy Church in America, and that would just be be the norm. But instead of, of doing that, I would rather look and see what does God's Word say is marks of a healthy church? What are the things that He holds dear as He discusses His bride? And so this Next series, we're going to be working through specific things that Jesus Christ said that his hope and desire for his church. Sound okay with you guys? So instead of my ideas on it, in Revelations 1, we're introduced to the topic of who's writing the book. Basically, it's the Apostle John who's on the island of Patmos. He's been exiled there, and it describes him having a vision where he encounters Jesus Christ, and Jesus specifically tells him what he wants to have said to the churches. It's interesting. First thing that I noticed in my study this week was upon encountering Jesus Christ, what the response it says. Look in this verse here, verse 17, it says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. I think sometimes we have this idea of when I meet God, I'm going to tell him uh, I have lots of questions to ask and lots of things that I want to say. No, That's not really the response you see in encountering Jesus Christ in his glory. So John is introduced to Jesus, but obviously he picks him up from that in verse 17 and he tells him to fear not and that he has a message that he wants him to share. And really in summary, this is a a message to seven specific churches at that time. A lot of people read into that. Some people will say that it's church eras. I would lean more in the camp that it's specifically speaking to, to, to churches. Here's a, a map of the churches that he talks to, Church one, starting with church one that we'll look at this morning in Ephesus. And really it's on the route as if a messenger were going to deliver them. So you see that that John is there in Patmos, and uh, Ephesus is about 50 miles from that. And so this is the route, and written to specific churches. It's not an exhaustive list of the churches in the New Testament. It's actually uh, just a few that he specifically chooses to focus on. But what's interesting is you discover is when you look at these churches, you start to see a comparison where you're like, really, each one's description is a description of the church. Today, there's transferable principles that really any church that you point to would probably fall into either a category of one of these churches or a collection of descriptors of each of these. So it's a letter that he writes in each one of the letters. It's interesting. He says the same things. He says the same thing. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So it's a message that's transferable to every single one of us. And my hope is this morning, that's not just a, a, a discovery of churches in, in ancient, uh, the beginning of the church, but it's a discovery of us asking the question, well, what does my church need to hear from this? What, and, and even personalizing it more than Agora Bible Fellowship, what kind of church am I? What kind of church am I? Because it's easy to hear some of these letters and be like, yeah, I've, I've been to a church like that. But no, this is a message to us specifically. He who has ears, which, check the person next to you, the he who has ears, let them hear what the Spirit has to say to them, to the churches. Let me pray for us before we look at that. God, thank you for this message that's applicable, so prevalent today. As we wonder, even looking across the landscape of our culture and our world, what is the church supposed to be doing? How are we supposed to respond? What, what do you desire? What does your, your bullseye look like for a church that's getting it right? I pray that you teach us through these texts that we wouldn't show up having it all figured out, that you'd soften our hearts, making us teachable, that I'd be small and you'd be great in this series. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. So looking at chapter two, I'd love to have all of your eyes on a Bible, whether it's on your phone or whatever method. If you don't have one, there's one in the chairs in front of you. If you don't own one, you can take one of those with you. First thing we learn, which I've already mentioned some, is the audience and the author. It says, to the angel of the church in Ephesus, write the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. He starts this off, and when you first read that, you're like, oh, here we go. We're in Revelation. He's talking about lampstands already. He's talking about stars in your hand. Like, what in the world does he mean? I think sometimes we have this idea that that God's made this book of Revelation so unattainable. But look look at this, just just briefly. In the, the chapter before, verse 20, it says, the seven stars. Are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So you're like, hey, it's, it's user friendly. That's good news. So basically, he's saying it's the seven churches, a message to them, but it's starting by going to the seven angels. And you're like, well, what, is, what does that mean? The word you hear used for angel is actually the same word that used for messenger and the same word that's used in the New Testament describing those in leadership, the one that's responsible for sharing the message with the church there in Ephesus. So most likely whatever leader was in place at that time, that's who he's referring to would be the interpretation that I would lean to. In this case, I get to be the messenger to you guys sharing the letters from the churches here. Do you, does that make sense? So here he's writing them, a little bit about Ephesus, just briefly, major port city, huge. If there's ever the the golden state warriors of churches, this was the church. This was the the father church of the other six churches. They would be daughter churches that started from Ephesus. And basically they are influenced by Paul, by Apollos, by Aquila and Priscilla, Timothy, and even John themselves. So they had been well invested in so if there's anybody that was going to receive a good report card, you would assume Ephesus would nail it because of their pedigree. So that's a little bit of a backdrop here. Uh, major port city, major church, uh, great pedigree. We'll look, let's look at what he has to say to them specifically. Verse 2, they're getting a lot right. I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostle, and are not, and found found them to be false. I know you're enduring patiently, and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. Starts off really strong. The first thing I wanted to point your attention to, where we saw in the first verse as well here, is that Jesus Is walking among the churches. And now it says here in verse 2 that he knows your works. So anybody that has an idea that we have a distant, uninvolved, uninterested God is completely missing it. It's an important thing for us to understand that he is watching and knows what's happening in Agora Bible Fellowship. And what, you fill in whatever church you want. He is observing. He's actively involved and very interested. He sees and he knows. He knows you when you've been bad or good. Not Santa. Like he, he sees. So for the person that's been uh, doing some good stuff, he's like, hey, that's encouraging. He notices the stuff you're doing. Even behind the scenes, he observes that. For those of you that are blowing it, he sees that too. So here's the, that's the first observation. He intimately knows the church and here he points out a lot of things they're getting right. They're a church, first off, a church that serves. He says he knows your works. In other words, they've got an agape choir. They've got a a meal program. They've got an Awana program running. They've got a few Beth Moore studies. Like they have a lot of things happening in their church. They're serving. They're getting some things done well. It says also, know your works your toil and your patient endurance. So they're not just winging it, like toil represents the idea that it's hard work. Like they're doing some stuff behind that. Man, this is difficult stuff. I I was thinking about the team that was here last week. We had this funeral I mentioned with uh, 300 plus guests here at the church and they're here, people here 10, 12 hours working to make that happen, to set the environment where people could be blessed. And I was like, man, they got it. They understood that it takes work to make these things happen. So a church that serves, a church that sacrifices, a church that endures. It says that your patient endurance, like many of you, some of you that are newer might not know that this church had a lot of difficult years and a lot of people that stayed the course, stayed here strong through that. So far, a solid report card. Also a church that is pure, in action and teaching. Look what it says about them. It says, How you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. So there's a, 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 a holy standard that they're holding. They cannot bear with sin. They're not losing their sensitivity to it. They're also testing teachers. I would love to see more of that before we embrace truth from the world around us, running things through the filter of Scripture. So they're getting a lot of things right so far. It says. "Lastly, I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake and you have not grown weary. A church that suffers, bearing up for her name's sake, not being willing to compromise the name of Jesus Christ. I was visiting, uh, I was on uh, Facebook uh, last night. I was kind of unwinding after doing the finishing touches on the, the, the message here. I'm usually here on Saturday nights. And I uh, was going through, and there's a, a few people from our church that were newer, I know, had embraced Christ just in the last month that were newer, and I was just on one of their Facebook walls, and I just saw post after post is like this scripture verse, and then uh, this, this directive, like, man, you need God in your life, you need a turn, and like the, every single thing on their Facebook post was like message after message, and I was like boldly proclaiming Jesus Christ. I was like, man, how cool is that? Somebody that's enduring, that isn't thinking through, well, I'm not sure how this is going to be received. What are people going to think about me? No, no, that's not what he's saying here. Bearing up for my name's sake, holding strong to Jesus Christ, to his name. So they're getting this review I imagine this, and they would be in a setting probably a lot smaller than this, meeting in maybe even somebody's home, packed in there. They're all excited to hear this letter being read by their angel or their leader of their their church, and they're they're reading, they're hearing this description, you know, shoulders are back, feeling pretty good, you know, we're a church that serves, we're a church that sacrifices, we're a church that endures, a church that's pure, that suffers, and feeling all right about themselves because they're getting a lot of things right. Then he goes into this next section that I'm guessing caused a bit of a silence in the room. Take a look at verse four. But I have this against you. Don't really want God or Jesus ever saying that, you know, that's not a good thing. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. That you have abandoned the love that you had at first. In other words, his critique of the church at Ephesus, although they had a great pedigree, although they were nailing it in all of these areas, serving, sacrifice, enduring, purity, suffering, the thing that they missed was the key ingredient. They were missing the love part. They were missing the love part. And before we're too critical of that, think for a second of how easy it is for that to disappear. We can get so busy, become so good at serving, enduring, and identifying falsehood, and somewhere along the way, we lose our love for Christ. We lose our love for his people. Somewhere along the way, it becomes mechanical, and you're just going through the routine, and if we're honest with ourselves, this has happened many times, if not currently, in our lives. We forget why we showed up to start with. We start playing church and we forget that it's supposed to stem from a love relationship. We forget where it all began. We forget where we're headed. So listening to a pastor by the name of Tony Evans. You may have heard uh, this pastor before, a black man, very passionate and very... Excellent at telling stories. And he was telling, describing this situation. He was saying, you know, it reminds him, he's saying it reminds him of, of a story when he was at the airport heading on a, a, a trip. And at the airport, he noticed the thing that we all dread, seeing the big board saying that simple word that we hate to see, see Delayed. you're like, oh man, is it delayed for a half an hour? Is it whatever? So just like uh, us, when we're delayed, you try to think of other things, how you can utilize your time there best. Anybody have this down to a science? And so the, the way that he utilizes time and the way I typically do was finding food to eat. He was really excited because he found close by to his terminal, a place he described as selling manna or otherwise known as fried chicken. So he's saying he was so excited to find this fried chicken. He realized, though, that he wasn't the only person that was discovering this. And there's a huge line to wait. and He's like, that's right. I've got plenty of time. Waits through the line, gets his piping hot chicken. He's so excited about it. He describes, and it's way better when he tells the story. But he's just sitting there, and he's got this plate of fried chicken in front of him about to just tear into it. And he hears on the loudspeaker in the distance, flight 47's final boarding is about to leave that's my flight. That's my flight. And he said it was a literal crossroads. We had to decide, wait a second, I came here to go on the flight, but I really like chicken. What do I do? What do I do? What what, what should I do? Should should I just stay here and enjoy the chicken? Or should I get on the flight that I actually arrived for? And he said it was a real crossroad. He said, but you know what I did? Packed up the chicken, took it on the flight with me. He solved it right there and then. And he was saying, he's like, you know what? For us with the church, we can get so caught up in the fried chicken of the church, the serving in Awana, enjoy being with the kids at VBS or or Camp ABF. You know, I really enjoy being involved in this small group, in this study, in this stuff, all this. And he says, but the thing he's not saying, you don't have to give up the fried chicken. Just don't forget what brought you there to begin with. Don't forget that it starts with a love relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus tried to convey to his disciples as well. Do you remember his conversation with Peter after Peter really blew it and denied him three times? Remember the question that he asked him? It was a simple question. Hey, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? That, that, that's the question I, he wanted answered. Asked him again. Yeah, yes, I love you. Asked him a second time. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Jesus, I love you. Again, Peter, do you love me? Yes, I do. Now you can go feed my sheep. You can get busy with the fried chicken again. You can do the, the, the other things of church that we enjoy, the studies, the small groups, the, all the other stuff, all the peripheral stuff. But don't miss our first love. It has to start there. It has to start there or else what's the point of it? It's reading this illustration this week of this. Imagine a, a, a married couple that the, the, the wife comes to the husband and says to him, says, listen, things are going to be a, a little bit different because I no longer love you but don't worry, don't worry. Everything's still going to be the same. I'm still going to take care of the house. I'm still going to help wash the dishes, help prepare food, take the kids to school. I'm going to do all these things. The only thing that's different is I just don't love you anymore. Can you imagine hearing that message? You're like, well, what's the point? What's, wh- why would we do that Why why would we want to exist in a a relationship that's just based on doing stuff and there's no love relationship there? I love how many parallels there are to marriage in this series. It's kind of the same in church. I'll still come, I'll sing, I'll serve, I'll give, but no longer really love Jesus. Imagine Jesus. Jesus. The, God, the the one reigning over all, the one holding stars and everything in his hands and, all, and being like, really? Steve, did I really need you to carry the offering basket up this morning? Did I really need that? Like, no, I'm not lacking anything. All I want is your love. That's what I'm asking for. I'm not interested in any of this peripheral stuff. All I want is your heart. That's it. That's it. I desire relationship. That's why Jesus died and embraced our sins on the cross so that there was potential for that relationship to be restored. But if that relationship's not there, he's saying, man, that's what I hold against you. That's what I have against you. Is You're, you're missing it. Don't bother. What I love is that he doesn't leave us in that place. Verse 5, he explains the road back to him says, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. That's why I know that Jesus was Baptist because he puts a three-point outline there. Remember, repent, and repeat. The idea there, the remember part is the first thing that he says, listen, you need to start, when you notice your love starting to wane, you need to start reflecting back to when it was dynamic. When it was new, when there was passion in that relationship, I remember tears in my worship. I remember long hours reading the word. I remember long walks and talks with Jesus. I remember late nights talking with friends about Christ. What is it do you, that you remember when you first started pursuing that relationship? How do you go back to that? It starts with remembering. With reflecting, my wife Adrian and I had uh, just a, a really fun opportunity for a date night this past week, and we went down. We had an invitation to come to the preview for Hillsong United's uh, new documentary that they're releasing this fall that we're excited about. I recommend it to anyone. So we went to the Arc Light Theater in Hollywood, which is a pretty sweet setup. They're not going to lie. So we're there. The producer's doing the intro. We're watching this film. It's a really encouraging deal. But what I loved on it is they're kind of telling the story of uh, the Hillsong Church. Have you heard of this church over in uh, Australia? And it's uh, from that come Hillsong United, Young and Free. Some of the, a lot of the songs we sing even on Sunday mornings uh, are from that. But they had this senior pastor that his church has uh, just taken off. And uh, it's like 30,000 people going to it. And he is uh, there. And they had a documentary of him going back to the first little room that their church started in. It's a lot smaller than this. And he's on this little stage that was now a library. And it was cool to watch him reflecting and talking about where it all began for him. When he first sensed God's call on his life, when he first sensed his pleasure on and just seeing him tearing up as he's seeing and going through this experience, he was remembering and I would propose based on what God's word says, that's a healthy routine in the life of every believer remember to go back to where it all started for you he also doesn't leave it at that he says remember therefore from where you have fallen repent repent I find fascinating that he chooses to use the word repent here is because repent is usually associated to what sin right So for us to belittle this and be like, oh yeah, my love, I've kind of lost that, I've kind of grown cold as if it's just a bad habit that we've gotten into, that's not the way that God sees it. God sees a wandering and waning heart, a lack of love towards him literally as sin and he invites us to repent, say, man, just just turn the bus around. Just get off on that exit and, and start coming back to where you were. That's what repent means. It's not some, we've turned it into some kind of crazy spiritual word, but he's saying, man, just admit you're wrong and get, take some steps headed back in the right direction and I'll fill in the gaps. That's what he invites us to do, to repent, to come back. God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I've lost this passion. I, I want it back. I desire it, I I need it back if I'm going to do this. The last thing he says in that little three-point outline, if you will, I stuck with the R's because of Baptist roots. Repeat, uh, repeat, then, then go back to what you did at first. This idea that once you reflect on it, once you repent, is start taking steps to do some of those things that you used to do. Long talks with God. Long walks outside, long times of silence, long conversations with friends about Christ, long discussions, whatever it was for you, long times of worship with tears in your eyes, whatever it is for you, repeat, repeat. Do the things you used to do and you'll feel the things you used to feel. Do the things that you used to do and you'll feel the things you used to feel. That's an important thing for us to grab hold of and understand. That's the invitation that he says to come back. Just come back. So he gives these suggestions, if you will, but he follows it with a strong warning. He says, If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says. To the churches. I think it's pretty cool that God does use the word lampstand to describe the church because if you're like me and you observe the world around us, you see that things are getting pretty dark outside of the church. And he's saying that it's a privilege to be that light source. It's a huge privilege to be the beacon that's saying, hey, hey, everything might seem broken and in chaos, but there's something different. There's a better way to do life. There's a way that's God designed that has us not hating on each other, not segregating and separating, but it's a way that has us loving each other. So he says, listen, our waning love affects the performance as a light-bearing instrument. The ability for us to bear light is determined by our love factor. We're, if, if our love has grown cold, he's saying all of a sudden your ability to, to have an impact, it's, it's gonna disappear. I'm a, a car guy I've mentioned before and one of the things I was introduced to that I didn't really know a lot about moving from Chicago to California was the effect of sunlight on your light or on your headlights here in California. Anybody deal with this? Where all of a sudden your, your lights that once glowed at first start to get this like yellowy hue on it. Anybody have this on your car or are we all leasing? Uh, but, but, but here on people that keep cars longer than a couple years, this is what happens. So our 2007 uh, vehicle that my wife drives Every time I walk by it, I'm a little annoyed because I'm this type of person. I look down, I see those headlights getting a little more dull, a little more dull. I'm like, oh man, pretty soon nobody's going to see us coming. Pretty soon, that's, that's unsafe. Uh, we, we need to get that taken care of. In fact, I even went with one of these Conejo deals, you guys get those? And, uh, and had my headlights restored and they are bright again, but now I realize, oh, they're looking yellow again, they're starting to get dull. And here's the same idea, the reason I bring up headlights, and you're like, Scott, that's a stretch. Uh, The reason I bring up headlights is isn't that the same with us? He's saying, listen, I will take you out of your roles of influence and use somebody else whose headlights are bright. I'll take you out of the game. I will choose to elevate somebody else. And you wonder if they heeded that warning or not. You see, the truth is, the city of Ephesus doesn't exist any longer and neither does the church of Ephesus. So somewhere along the line, somewhere in our history, the church at Ephesus no longer was that light to the community. We don't know the story exactly of how that played out. I was actually trying to read to discover that, but much like the 3,700 churches that closed their doors every single year in America, their light was turned out. See, the fastest way as a church individually to be unimpacting or not impacting your community is all of a sudden the love starts to fade. The love starts to fade. I was in Argentina some years back on a serving trip and we were getting these different tours of these just beautiful cathedrals. Maybe you've done that in Europe. We've done it in a couple different places. I was in one particular tour. It's interesting because we're looking at stained glass and kind of checking out the different features of this church. And we're just talking as if it was normal, like we're talking right, right now, just normal conversation. Somebody rushes over and says, shh, there's a service going on over there. I was like, what do you mean there's, there's a service going on? There's like four people in the corner of the room and maybe they're doing, they doing something, but they're in this massive, huge cathedral that I imagine at some point was booming with people and passion and love for Christ. And you're like, what happened? Where did it go? You wonder when the influence is gonna be taken away. It's when love leaves the building. The same for us individually. When is our influence taken away? When love leaves the building. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. It's a plead. We don't know exactly what he's talking about, but with the Nicolaitans, I, there's, I read a lot of stuff that seemed a lot like speculation, but obviously he didn't like them. Uh, but, but he does give us this caution. But the nice thing for us is, is that we can bring it present day and ask that same question, what kind of church am I? Have I gotten so busy doing ministry, my love is gone? Have I lost my influence because my love has grown cold? Where am I at as a church? He ends with a a beautiful promise and a glimpse of hope. He says, To the one who conquers, in other words, the one that perseveres when there's that tug everywhere around us to grow cold, the one that perseveres, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. This tells us, for those of us that per- persevere, that push through this, on the other end of the line, it gets really good. On our vacation, I had, uh, we had a kind of a time gap at the very end of it where we're coming back. We're flying from Philadelphia, but our flight was leaving a little later in the day, but we had to be out of the place. We were staying out somewhat early, so we're killing a little time at the mall. And so Adrian was off with the girls shopping who knows where, and Chase and I found the center of the mall. There's those little sitting islands. Anybody found those before and really enjoyed those? Any men serve some time in those islands. Uh, it's kind of like Patmos, but uh, but we're there, and you're 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 there just hanging out, and we're clock checking and just wondering is it time yet? Is it time yet? Chase and I just kind of lounging. We'd done we'd looked at anything we could think of to look at, and we're just chilling out there. And there's this elderly couple that comes up and joins us in the island. So we're there in the island. This this elderly couple starts talking to us, starts sharing. And, I mean, they're old. They're re- real old. And uh, they start talking. And this lady, right, Chase? Super talkative. Like, super talkative. And, uh, which gets me a little bit more clock checking. Uh, sorry, uh, there's the non-pastor side of me. And, uh, and, and so, so I'm sitting there. But then all of a sudden, I start getting intrigued by her story. Because she's telling, she's like, she's like, she's got this really old uh, c- kind of voice. And she's like, she's like, the neatest thing happened for my husband and I a couple weeks ago our church surprised us with a renewing of our vows after 65 years. And I was like, oh, that's cool. Uh, this isn't a picture of them, but it's a cute picture. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> but so, so we're, we're talking, and she's explaining to us, and she's like, I used to have a stutter But I don't stutter anymore. He helped fix that. I don't really know how he helped fix that. But either way, it was so sweet to watch this couple just talking and and interacting. At first, I was somewhat uh, annoyed by it. But after a time, I kind of got sucked into it. And I was like man, this is cool. Tell me about your story and all of this. And they're telling us about the Hearst Castle and somebody that stuttered there too. And I don't know, I didn't understand everything she was telling me about. But, uh, but anyway, so she's, she's telling me all this stuff. And, and then at the end, Adrian had come up and it was time for us to get cracking. She's like, listen, I want to tell you what's going to help you survive in your marriage. I'm like, all right. I want to. I want to hear this. I mean, we're, we're we're doing we're solid, but we are I'm always open to tips and 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 she, and her, I see her. You always look to check the husband. The husband's rolling her eyes. She's like, oh, I'm gonna go with Ethel. He's like, oh, Ethel. I can't remember her name. And uh and, and and so and and he's rolling her eyes, uh rolling her eyes. And she's like, oh, he can bring it back to California. And so she comes. She stands up and she's like, I'm gonna show you a heart-to-heart hug, I'm like, okay, this got really creepy right now. I'm, I'm comfortable with the pastoral half hugs, uh, but, but she's like, no, you got to put your heart against my heart. And I was like, uh, all right, all right. So I'm leaning in, and I'm trying to keep my distance, and she's like pulling me closer. All of a sudden, they start touching, and I'm like, oh, this is weird. But, but, but then I kind of I gave into it. I'm not gonna lie, I'm like, oh, this is kinda all right. My heart against her heart. And she and you know how there's that time length that a hug's supposed to last? Way past that. (laughs) And she's like, she's like, if you do this, your marriage is gonna be great. Your marriage is gonna be great. And I was like. I was like all right we're in we've done a couple heart to hearts in the last week I'm not going to lie and uh it's so it's so it just kind of become the running joke of heart to hearts in our in our family since then but but here's the thing that I was thinking about with that I was thinking about it's like man they've made it through a lot 65 years, think about how much life they've seen, how much they've experienced, how many fights they've probably been in, how many things they've reconciled, how many issues they've worked through, how many pet peeves they've put up with, how many things. Why? Because they kept the love piece right. They got that part right and the rest was gravy. The rest is is just awesome. And now they're in their golden years. They're doing their renewal, their vows, all this other stuff because they got the love piece right. Isn't that what Jesus is saying to us? If you persevere, if you endure, if you push against the tide of the coldness in the world around us and you hold on tight with some heart to hearts, man, I will lead you The one who conquers I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. He's saying, man, heaven, everything that's at the end of this, we don't even know what all is explained there. We could do a whole other study on that from Genesis and the correlation there. But you get the idea that he's saying, man, there's some good things coming if you get this love piece right. Let me pray for us as a church. God, I thank you for this word and... Really, not having to wonder what you consider the bullseye. God, I thank you for revealing that to us, even here with the star church of Ephesus that should have the perfect report card. It wasn't that they were getting the other stuff right. There's a lot of things to celebrate, but he cautions them not to leave their first love. And the caution for us in our church collectively in our church individually, not to wander from that love. My prayer and my hope, God, is that even this week we take steps towards pursuing that. What I know for my own life, God, is that I'm always surprised at how non-distant you are. How you're a date night away or a walk away from reconnecting. God, I pray that for each person here in this this room, that they'd enjoy that. They'd enjoy what you've invited them to, relationship. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Amen, amen. All I am is yours. Remember those three words this week. Remember, repent, repeat. What a wonderful invitation back, amen? Have a wonderful week. God bless you.